Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Very good evening, everybody. So encouraging to be back here again. Thanks for having me. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Leona. I'm the Cross Campus Pastor. And you will probably see a tiny bit more of me in the future, which I am very excited about. So this is so encouraging. Uh, before I get into the sermon, let's just pray, shall we? Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much for today, Lord. Thank you that we can gather this evening to learn more about who you are, Jesus, to learn more about what it means to be a follower of you in this world. Lord, and to just learn more about the spiritual battle that is happening as we live out our life for you, Jesus, and as we face opposition in life. Jesus, it is a big topic, and yet we should always look to you, trust you, Lord, and um, yeah, follow your guidance in our lives. So I pray right now, Lord, as I speak your word, that you would, um, yeah, that you would take over, Spirit, that every single word coming out of my mouth would be from you, Jesus. And I also pray that all the hearts here in this room or listening online would be softened, Lord, in spirit that you can speak to them personally in your name. Amen. So today we are looking at chapter 4 of Nehemiah and as you heard before that's all about when Nehemiah faced opposition. It's quite a big topic really. But before we get into this I would like to ask you a personal question and that question is have you committed your life to Jesus? Have you committed your life to Jesus? Or are you maybe here because a friend of yours or so invited you and you're just sussing this whole face thing out a bit and you're still a bit unsure about it and you're maybe praying over it or maybe even not. But I do pray that you will find the answer for your life, whether you want to follow Jesus. And if you decide to follow Jesus in your life, the Lord is giving us lots of promises. And they are beautiful promises. And I thought I would kick off this evening to tell you some of these amazing promises that your Father in heaven gives you. The first promise is that he will give you life. Life. It says in Matthew 6, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He promises you to never leave you nor forsake you. He promises you a reward in heaven. In fact, he actually promises you eternal life. You know how encouraging that is? If you're in a conversation with an atheist and you talk about death, you can't miss how afraid or how much fear is in their life as they approach this topic. The hope in eternal life or the blessing we have to rest in that. He will speak to you. He promises you that he will give you a growing revelation of who he is. John 14 says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. 
he will give you a growing understanding of who he is. What a journey. Jesus will call you his friend and he will also plant his joy and his peace in your heart. And I believe that we could see all of this in the first few chapters of the book of Nehemiah. How faithful the Lord is. So I don't know if you have listened to all of the sermons that were happening of the previous three sermons of the book of Nehemiah. If you haven't, I encourage you to go back and to have a listen online to them. Because we sat down and we prayed for the sermon series as we gathered. And we prayed that the Lord would truly touch your hearts from it. And this is our prayer. That it wouldn't be just a sermon series where you just come here, listen, go out, shut the door and forget about it. But we pray that it would actually impact your life. So please do me the favor and go back and listen. But for those of you who weren't here, I give you a really quick update of where we are at. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia and he had a pretty good life doing this. I think he actually lived quite in a luxury environment. That's how I envision it. But Nehemiah was also a Jewish person. And Nehemiah's heart was for his nation. And the day came when Nehemiah got told that the city of Jerusalem is in ruins and the wall is broken down and everything is just rubble. And Nehemiah's heart was breaking and he grieved quite a lot. And he cried out to God and he said, God, what shall we do? Tell me. And he prayed. And the Lord himself gave Nehemiah this vision in his heart that it would be him who would go back and to gather people and to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah went to the king and approached him and asked him if he could go back to, to Jerusalem. And that was a pretty massive thing back then. Like if you disagreed with the king or said something that the king didn't like, you could actually be beheaded. So it was pretty full on. I hope that we are a bit easier to approach as leaders today. <laughs> Pray for that. Um, but it was a massive thing Nehemiah did. But the Lord blessed him and the Lord's favor was upon him. And the king sent Nehemiah back to Jerusalem and he blessed Nehemiah like really like he said like you know what Nehemiah I give you all the paperwork you need so you are protected on your journey back to Jerusalem and I will also give you all the wood you need so you can really truly establish these walls again. So Nehemiah had all the permission he needed and all the material he needed when he went. And so he came back to Jerusalem and he gathered the people and last week if you heard how, how fast this war was going up, unexpectedly fast. And now we land in chapter 4. And this is where Nehemiah faces opposition. Opposition against the work he was doing, opposition against the work the father was doing, God was doing. Because it was God's work. And this is a promise that the Lord is giving you as well in your life. That if you commit your life to Jesus, that you will face opposition in this world. That is a promise. And that is not an amazingly beautiful promise that we often like to talk about. But it is a promise. And it happened to Nehemiah too. Let's read again Nehemiah 4, 7 and 8. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the preachers were beginning to be closed, 
they were very angry. And they, are, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. A month of effort to rebuild this wall of Jerusalem has shown absolutely remarkable results. I just envisioned myself as I prepped this to be one of these Jewish people who were actually a part of this. Imagine, you live for a hundred and whatever years in the city and the walls were all in rumble and you almost got used to living in this messed up city without any protection and all of a sudden there's hope again. And you're a part of rebuilding and re-establishing this wall. I just think that they must have just been so encouraged by this. That would have been amazing. However, back in Samaria, there was a bit of a different tension. Sambalat, who was a leader of this empire there, and Tobiah, they heard about it, and they got really angry. And they gathered all the surrounding leaders from the surrounding nations on the east and the south and the west, and they talked to them and they said, guys, do you actually understand the gravity of what is happening there? Do you understand that when these Jewish people are reestablishing the wall of Jerusalem, what this means for us? Back in the day, they controlled all of the trading in this whole area right now. Do you want that they're having a say over your life again? Well, we won't. We don't like it. So we need to act quickly. We need to be on to it now. So what we need to understand now is, is that Nehemiah, as I said before, had everything he needed. Sambala and Tobiah had nothing politically in their hands to actually go against them. Nothing. Because they, they had the king's blessing to do that. So what did they do? They talked Nehemiah down. They talked Israel down. And they talked the quality of the wall down. They called them the feeble Jews. And they also told them that if a fox even runs up on that wall, it's probably going to crumble. And you know what the crazy thing about all of this is? What I believe is that it's probably half true. Because the Jewish people who built this wall, they were not the most educated people. There were people like you and I who were building this wall. I don't know about you, but I would not be fantastic at this, I think. We can all learn, I guess. <laughs> and the rocks they used were all burnt. It wasn't the most perfect rock they could use either. And so, so often I believe that when we hear news like this or half-truth like this, it can be so encouraging in our life, can't it? Like we hear something like this and we swallow it down and we get so discouraged by that. But Nehemiah at this point, he knew that it was God who was doing the work and that it wasn't him. He knew that it was God who planted the vision in his heart to rebuild the wall and that's why he trusted him. That's why he put all his trust in. And so what Sambalat and Tobiah did not see was this wider picture. It was that picture that it was God's work and not just the work of a few people. Words can be so powerful. I, I think we need to be super careful how we speak about each other, to each other, for each other, whatever you do. Words have power. The Bible speaks a lot about that. A few weeks ago, I picked my children up from school and my little daughter, Cassie, she's in reception, five years old, hopped into the car and started crying. And I looked to her and I said, Cassie, what's up? And she said, oh, mama, I'm called mama, oh, mama, so-and-so said that my hair isn't as nice as her hair and also that I'm stupid. 
So I don't know about you, but in the moment when I heard this, this mummy heart was ready to fight. <laughs> I got pretty angry. It's a bit hard to get on to fight against another five-year-old girl. <laughs> so I left it. But I turned around and I said to Cassie, Cassie, if mommy says to you right now that you're a banana, Cassie, you're a banana, what do you think? And Cassie was like, mommy, I'm not a banana. And I was like, exactly, you're not a banana. And in fact, you're, you know what you are? You are fearfully and wonderfully created. That's what the Bible says you are. And you also know that if you pray for wisdom in your life, that the Lord promises you to give you godly wisdom, you're going to be so smart. You need to pray for godly wisdom in your life. This is the truth. I do believe that if we know who we are in Jesus, and if our identity is planted in him, that words that are spoken over you do not have to define your life. But they can actually wash off. There is this kid's book. It just comes to me. What is it? Pinoc, whatever. Well, it, yeah, yeah, you're special. Where the, the dots all fall off, eh? Maybe I should have read this tonight. That would have been fantastic too. It does not have to define you. But it shouldn't surprise us that we are facing opposition in this world because it is promised to us. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live a godly life in this world will be persecuted. I thought about the 12 disciples and it shocked me a bit how their lives ended. And I just thought I would read it out because it's a bit crazy. Here we go. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, hanged himself. James was executed by Herod. Peter and Paul were martyred. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was pierced by spears to death. Philip was killed. Matthew and Bartholomew were martyred. James was stoned. Simon was killed. John was the only apostle where it's believed that he died a natural death. Pretty full on. I sometimes think that we in Australia, we are just so far removed from it all. And in some ways, amen, hallelujah. I truly believe that we can't even fathom of what it's like to live out your faith to, and to face like the, the consequence of death if you, if you speak up only the name of Jesus once in public or anything like this. I think we are so far removed from all of that. But as I thought of this word persecution, I went to the Open Doors um, webpage, and this is how they define persecution. Persecution is any form of hostility experienced as a result of following Jesus. This can look different for the hundreds of millions of believers who face persecution every day. For some, it is a denial of basic needs like clean water, food, and health care because of their faith in Jesus or rejection from their non-Christian family and community. For others, Christian persecution is acts of physical violence, imprisonment, or even death. Right now, there are hundreds of millions of believers in this world who are persecuted for their faith, only because they, live, they believe in the same Jesus as you and as I. That's all they're doing. Nothing more and nothing less. Since the Taliban took over in Afghanistan earlier in this year again, Afghanistan is now voted the first time as the most dangerous country in the world to be a follower of Jesus. North Korea is number two, Somalia third, Libya fourth, and Yemen fifth. Please pray for your brothers and sisters in these countries. 
can't even fathom of what it must be like. Australia is not even on the top 100 list. We are a very, very blessed nation here right now. But it is a promise that we are facing opposition, isn't it? And you may have experienced that when you have given your life to Jesus that some of your family members are not respecting you as much anymore, are against the faith you're believing in. You may have experienced where family members or friends were laughing at you at parties, making jokes about this Jesus. You may have discerned how the media is only projecting a certain type of opinion often and that the Christian values has less and less weight in society at the moment. Or you may have experienced discouragement like Nehemiah did. So let's look into how Nehemiah responded when he heard about the opposition. The first thing Nehemiah did was he prayed. Prayer is so, so essential in the Christian walk. Verse 9, we pray to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Pray first. How often do we experience something in life, something difficult, and later on we're like, oh man, why didn't I just pray? Does this ever happen to you? It happens to me. But I believe the most important thing as follower of Jesus is to pray. The enemy does not want you to pray. In fact, the enemy will distract your thoughts, will distract your everyday life, and will plant thoughts of hopelessness and unbelief in your mind. He will do everything he can that you won't spend time in prayer. Because the truth is, if we are not living a prayer for life or pray over the ministry we are doing, it won't be as effective. I could spend hours preparing a sermon that is so wonderful, but if I don't pray over it, I believe it won't be as effective. Pastoral visitations can be nailing it. You could be kicking it so amazingly, and maybe hopefully it's happening, maybe not. But I still believe that as much as we try, if prayer is not covering it all, it won't be as effective. Why? Because we are not building this church here by our own hands, are we? We are building this church by His Spirit. In his strength. And we are called to pray. I also think that prayer helps us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When you pray, you give the Lord the chance, the Spirit the chance to, to change your heart and to mold it more like he is. To plant his desires in your heart. I think we live in a time where all of us have lots of calendars in our phones. <laughs> And it reminds us of all the activities we have to do right now. And maybe you're someone who structures your prayer. And maybe you say, all right, in the morning five minutes, in the evening five minutes. And if nothing better comes up, I may even potentially rock up next week Thursday evening at Word and Worship. Oh, bing, bing, something else popped up. Don't get me wrong <laughs> right now. A bit of structure in life is good to form healthy habits. Certainly for me as well. But this is not what prayer is about. I believe that prayer is so, so powerful when it aligns with the life that you are living. We are called to constantly pray in whatever we are doing. So include Jesus in your walk, whatever, wherever you are. If you meet a person, be prayerful about it. If you hear the ambulance, pray for the person inside the ambulance, the doctors, whatever. Include Jesus as you live your life. And I truly believe that when you then face opposition... 
that your heart will be aligned in prayer to the Lord's will and that you then know how to face that opposition in your life. So live a prayer for life. Nehemiah lived this. He knew in the moment when the opposition came that he had to pray. And if after he prayed and he finished his prayer, he turned to his people and he said, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Don't look to yourself. Look to God. How amazing is that verse? Don't look to yourself. Look to God. The second thing that Nehemiah did when he heard of the opposition was that he knew his weapons. And so must we. We must know our weapons. When Nehemiah heard about it, he didn't just laugh it off and be like, ah, oh, whatever, who cares, and kept on building the wall. He didn't do that. But he also didn't run away in fear and stopped building the wall. Nehemiah heard of the opposition. He prayed. He got the weapons ready. And he kept on building this wall. I think we can learn so much from this. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held the weapon with the other. Do you know how inconvenient this must be? Have you ever built a wall holding like one weapon in one hand and use only one hand to build the other yeah, I'm a bit of an impatient person, and I think I would be very crampy very quickly. <laughs> that would be so inconvenient for these people. But Nehemiah knew how important it was to have those weapons ready. He knew that. And that's what they did. They were waiting for the opposition. They wanted to be ready for the opposition. But while they were ready to wait for the opposition almost, they kept on building the wall. That it not stop. We are in a spiritual battle today as well. As we build God's kingdom, we are facing a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says that we are not fighting against flesh and blood anymore, but that we are fighting against the authorities and the powers and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what we are fighting against. It is it is actually quite a spiritual battle that is happening right now. And sometimes you may feel it and other times you may not feel it. But we're in it. I want to tell you a few stories now of when I personally experienced the spiritual battle that was happening. A few years ago, I went to India to a town called Varanasi. And Varanasi is one of the fi um, five most holiest cities of Hinduism in India. And through Varanasi, there's the Ganges River that flows through it. And people believe that if they die on the land of Varanasi, that they will actually exit this whole cycle of birth and rebirth. So it's quite what they would call a holy city. There's lots of offering that is being made in Varanasi. Animals get offered. Bodies get offered. Not nice to see. Lots of washing is happening in this river to wash away their sins and so on. And it was quite a spiritually dark, dark place. When I entered the city with the team, we walked in it and it took only a few minutes and I felt so physically exhausting, exhausted that it was really hard to put one foot in front of the other. Within one hour, over half of the team were lying in bed or with a really high temperature. 
And then we looked to each other and we were like, well, this is not quite normal, is it? So we gathered and we prayed and only one hour later we met the people we had to meet. It was just interesting. Another story is that Josh and I, my husband and I, we went to northern Thailand. And, and in these little villages in northern Thailand, they often have like um, a little temple, what do you call them? Shrine, whatever, in front of their villages, right? Where they, where they put offerings there and sacrifices to please the spirits of this village. And we entered that village with another missionary. And as we walked in, a man came running towards us and was like, who are you guys? The spirits have just left us. I didn't feel anything special, to be honest. But I was like, wow, there is something happening here right now, isn't there? There was this shop in Mount Barker, and it's all baskets. And I walked into this shop, and I felt the same spiritual heaviness as I felt back in Varanasi. And I prayed. I couldn't stop. I walked in, and the second when I felt it, I could not not pray. So I started praying, and I started praying for all the people entering the shop and for every person buying anything from the shop. And Lord, just close this shop. <laughs> and I kept on praying for about two weeks, I think, for the shop, and then something else came in my mind. But I prayed for the shop to be closed. And a few months later, the shop was closed. I believe not just by my prayer, probably other people discerned it as well, but the Lord was doing it. And he closed this shop. And I still praise him for it because I really felt this heaviness. Even sometimes when people are preaching, or I certainly know Dave experiences as I experience it, Rob and Dust, I had a good chat to Rebecca this morning, and it's a week of a lead up to a sermon. There seems to be lots happening in our lives. And it sometimes can be very exhausting of it. Or on a Sunday morning, like this morning before I got ready, all my kids were fighting in our house. And I was like, guys, every time when I'm preaching, just had it. It's like, sorry, Josh, bless you. Off I go, out of the house <laughs> to get my mind in it, protect myself a bit. So pray for our partners. <laughs> But we, there is a battle, isn't there? And I think we need to be aware that there is a battle. But what I want to say to all of us is that it is so important in the Christian walk to not give the enemy so much attention. Don't focus on all this stuff. Rather, have your eyes set on Jesus. Worship him. Praise him for who he is. Know who you are in him. Know your weapons. And then when you feel the opposition come, that you are confident in him. Rather than looking out for all the temptations that you're facing and be like, ooh, what's happening here in my life right now? This is not how we are meant to live our Christian walk. Don't focus on, don't focus on the enemy. Focus on Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. So we need to know our weapons. What are they? Let's read Ephesians 6, 13 to 18. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So let's look quickly into, what, into it, what it means for us. Firstly, the belt of truth. 
The devil's favorite weapon is to put lies in your minds or even half-truth or whatever it may be so you don't believe the truth anymore. Pray, please pray for discernment and wisdom over your life. The breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness. Satan really tries to destroy your self-worth. He does not want you to understand and believe the position that you have in Christ. He doesn't. He knows how powerful all of this is. But remind yourself of the promises that God is giving you of who you are in him. The shoes for your feet. May we go out and share the gospel with boldness and with confidence in this world. Shield of faith. Faith is a gift. It is a gift. Pray that the Lord would increase faith in your life. That when opposition comes, that you would be so planted in your faith in him that nothing could shake you. The helmet of salvation. How often do struggles start in your mind when you start believing lies? When fears creep in? When you start doubting yourself? Pray for the helmet of salvation so that the Lord will protect your mind. In fact, renew your mind. That's what his promise is. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Please read your Bible. Don't let dust fall on it. Know the word. Let it shape you. It's prophesied that at the end of days that people will come who will teach you all sorts of truth. You know like how in society right now this whole topic is about my truth? Interesting. Know the truth. Know the word. So when people want to convince you about my truth, or whatever truth they believe in, that you know what is actually true. But you need to be planted in the word. And again, at the end, in verse 18, it says, pray. Because the enemy does not want you to pray. But pray. This life is not about you proving it to yourself or to anyone of how you can nail it for Jesus. Because even sometimes I believe that when we read all of this, all like, oh yes, now Lord, that's, I can do this. But it is actually, in fact, not about that. Because we can't do it by our own strength. It's not about how much you can suffer for the Lord or how much you can face persecution in the future for the Lord or any of this. It is about your relationship with him. So please spend time with him. And lastly, when Nehemiah heard about the opposition, he knew the power of unity within community. Verse 23, so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took, out, took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Doing life together in community is so powerful, isn't it? When you're facing opposition, you're not alone. You have so many other brothers and sisters in Christ who want to walk this journey with you, who want to pray for you, encourage you, maybe correct you but then hold your hand and keep on walking with you. So please do not do this walk alone. The Lord called us to do this together in community. What we need to understand is that the Israelites did not just rebuild the wall for themselves, but they rebuilt this wall for all the future generations to come. And they built this wall for you. Because Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem. Jesus walked in there. 
Our home is no longer Jerusalem. Our home is God. And it is not about the building anymore. But it is about a kingdom covenant. It is about you and I picking up the rocks and keep on building his kingdom in this world today. We are not fighting against bricks and waters, or for bricks and waters anymore. No, we are fighting for spiritual sons and daughters. And the battle is real. Do not underestimate what the Lord can do in and through you if you commit your life to him. When you think of the global church worldwide and how the Lord has people all over the world who are building this wall, the church, because they commit their lives to him. How encouraging is this? It is so amazing. But you will face opposition. It won't always be easy. Paul says in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The whole book of Nehemiah is really a foreshadowing of the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus faced opposition throughout his whole ministry. He faced opposition not just for the works he was doing, but for who he actually was. He faced opposition all the way up to the cross. The Romans were against him and he even faced opposition within his disciples. He knows what it feels like. He's traveled it. So as we live out this life and commit our life to him, can we, can we put our trust in him? Can we pray and, and live a prayer for life committed to him? Can we pick up our weapons and know them? Know them and use them. And as we hold our weapons and get ready for them, let's keep on building this wall. Let's keep on building his kingdom, his church. The wall in Jerusalem went up a lot quicker than anybody anticipated. My deepest, deepest prayer is that we would see revival here in this nation. That we would see revival coming out here of the Adelaide Hills because you and I were all willing to give up our life and to truly commit it to Jesus and be willing to be used by him as he wants and to be obedient to him. So my prayer to, for you right now is that you would be willing to do this. And so as you go home later on, reflect on your life. Pray, ask God. Ask him what you can do, the next steps you should take to be maybe a bit more obedient, I don't know. To get to know him deeper. To know your weapons. Don't underestimate what the Lord can do in and through you. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. And we thank you that we can learn so much from it, Lord. Lord, we are in a spiritual battle here right now. And we know this, Jesus, but at the same time, we also are so grateful to you and to the cross, knowing that you have won it, Lord, knowing that you have won, that, that we can look to you and it's all done. Jesus, we do not have to be afraid of any of that. 
Thank you for all the promises you've given us. Thank you for the promise of eternal life to be with you, Jesus. Lord, but as we live out our faith here in this world and as we face opposition, even here in Australia, I pray that you will equip us, that you will strengthen us, and that you will use us, Lord, that we would know and use our weapons. And as we do this and hold them in one hand, Lord, that with the other hand, we would keep on building your church. May we never stop building your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I pray that you give us a heart that cries out to all the hundreds of millions of believers all around the world who are facing persecution right now only because they believe in you. Jesus, we pray for your peace to be with them. We pray protection over them, Lord. And we pray that you would reveal yourself to many, many, many more people there in and through dreams and visions at the moment, Jesus. Lord, it is so encouraging to, to be a part of, of your history as you establish your kingdom in this world. And Lord, I pray that you would use all of us. Keep our hearts soft to be shaped by you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.